everyone. This is Sia D. Clayton here, Head of Content for Good Lord. We are joined by Orla Shields from Camera, and we're going to be discussing decoding the future of property licensing for agents. So hi, Orla. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Sophia. How are you doing? Yeah, all good here. Do you want to tell us a bit more about yourself and what you do? Well, my name is Orla Shields. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Kama. And essentially what Kama is, is we're a geospatial technology company, I guess a prop tech company for want of a better word. And what our technology does is it aggregates billions of different pieces of data about property licensing across all 400 councils and is able to tell you for every individual property what exact license is needed for that property. It takes all the the thinking and the searching and the the not knowing and passively keeps you informed about what licensing requirements apply to your property or your property portfolio. And how does property licensing vary across the UK? Yeah, so um, it's actually a much more complex problem, I think, than most people know about. There's various different ways in which it varies throughout the UK. So, for example, if I go back to the origins of property licensing, it comes from a really good place. So the, the idea behind it was that it was brought in by the government to help raise standards of rental properties. And they devolved that responsibility down to local government. And this is where the complexity starts. So every local authority has the, the discretion to introduce what we call discretionary licensing schemes. So most people, when they hear property licensing, they'll think of mandatory HMO licenses. So they think property licensing HMOs. And that is a thing, but it's actually a lot more complex than that. So we have all in all three different types of property licensing schemes. The one that everybody knows about, your mandatory HMO license requirement. So that's where you've got a property that has five people living in it that make up more than two households. So basically where it's essentially not a family. If you have any kind of property it could be a student house share or it could be a you know a building chopped up into different rooms for example once you have five people and two or more of them are unrelated that's going to need a mandatory license and that's standard throughout the country it's actually in some ways the easiest one to comply with what makes it complex is that at each council's discretion they can introduce what we call discretionary licensing schemes there's two of them one is called an additional licensing scheme and the other is called a selective licensing scheme and that really brings down the threshold for what qualifies as a property needing a license. Each individual council does that in their own weird and wacky way. So for additional licensing, they're essentially what we would call small HMOs. So that could be each council will have their own rule as to what qualifies as an additional licensed property. So it could be a property that has two people and making up more than two households or more, or it could be three people over two stories, various different rules for every different council. And then you have selective licensing and selective licensing applies to single lets. So no matter how small the property, if it sits inside a selective licensing scheme, it's definitely going to need a license. So you could have a one bed bed sit with one person in it. It's going to need a license. So that's one way it's complex. The other way is that they don't apply this in a uniform way across the council. Of course, they don't. That would be too easy. They generally apply it in a kind of patchwork format. So you can have, you know, a two bed, two story property on one side of the street that needs a license and actually a similar property on the other side of the street won't need a license. And figuring that out is not made easy by the councils because information is very difficult to search on their websites. Sometimes it's not even up there at all. And you have to spend a lot of time on the phone and you may not even get a definitive answer when you do that. And then finally, the other way that it's made quite complex is because it changes all the time. So 
So the councils can introduce these licensing schemes whenever they want. They usually introduce a consultation that lasts for two or three months and they usually ignore most of the objections that come in for them. And then a couple of months later, they'll introduce a new scheme. So the rate of change with licensing schemes at the moment is such that it's somewhere in the country once every eight days, a new property licensing scheme pops up somewhere. So, you you know, compliance today does not necessarily mean compliance tomorrow. And that's one of the other quite frustrating things that having an automated check just takes all that thinking, all that risk, gives you peace of mind that you'll be informed rather than you have to keep abreast of all the changes that are happening across the country. Why do you think it's so common to constantly renew all these licenses for councils? Why do you think it is such a big thing for them to do? There's a, there's a couple of school of th- schools of thought around that. Um, the cynical one is that councils are broke and um, it's a really good way for them to make money because a license can cost anything from about £300 up to £1,500. And you know it works a little bit like car parking, a little bit of enforcement, everybody pays up. So that's the kind of more cynical view. The other one is that the reasons why it's complex is that it's meant to target areas where there is antisocial behaviour or where there is problems with the standard of rental property. So that's why they do apply it in a patchwork kind of way. So areas typically, you know, HMOs quite often are in areas of antisocial behaviour where you um, and they do attract kind of bad landlords where they shove lots of people into properties. And these licensing schemes are there to target those specific areas to put more regulation in there to stop that happening and drive up the standards in those areas. That's a less cynical view. <laughs> it's a bit of both, probably a bit of A and a bit of B, I think. <laughs> Fair enough. And um, there's a couple of new licensing schemes that have popped up in some of the big cities, isn't there? Like there's some in Nottingham, Birmingham and Manchester recently. Yes. So we have had a wave of new schemes over the last few months. So discretionary licensing schemes in those areas that you mentioned in Manchester, Birmingham and Nottingham. Um, So quite a lot of properties affected. Typically, as it's no surprise, those cities, um, they are in urban areas where the discretionary licensing schemes are targeted. So that's affecting quite a lot of properties. And some of the the maps of of how these schemes are being applied are quite complex. So um, it is something that hopefully good lord customers can now benefit from having the check when they bring on new tenants but they should also be um checking in on their portfolio because properties that previously didn't need licenses probably are coming into scope for a license now and do you know if the licensing schemes have actually worked in terms of tackling antisocial behavior I believe some councils have been quite good about publishing some of the work that they've been doing. So Newham Council in East London, they've had selective, borough-wide selective licensing for oh the last, I think, 15, 20 years now. And they've been quite active in the enforcement of that. And they have been quite vocal in publishing case studies and how they have driven up standards in the area. For, for your listeners that don't know, Newham would be one of the poorest boroughs in London. So they did have a lot of antisocial behaviour. Hence, they were actually allowed to introduce a borough-wide selective licensing scheme. Generally, you need approval from central government to introduce a borough-wide selective licensing scheme. And that's another reason why they make them patchwork. If they can keep the scheme to below 20% of the coverage, they don't have to get approval from central government. But Newham felt they had so many problems that only a borough-wide solution would suffice. They, they have been known to publish videos of where they have done raids on kind of HMOs where they knew they were unlicensed and people 
people were living in really quite dire conditions. So I think in, in these circumstances, the, the council has been quite active in enforcement. It has been quite effective, uh, certainly. I guess it, it, depending on the area, generally where you see new councils introducing new schemes, they will also be quite active on enforcement after a period. So they'll, they'll generally give landlords a, a period to comply with the legislation. But usually they also are quite well financed once most people who have gotten the license licenses uh, have complied and um, they focus on, on enforcement in those areas. But that does kind of work in quite a patchworky way as well across the country. And on the back of what you were talking about in terms of Newham, how does property licensing differ in London compared to the rest of England? Well, I guess every scheme, if it's discretionary, is, is a bit different to the next one. So that's even within London. So all property licensing it has exploded. So uh, about 90%, I think it's 87% of boroughs have some form of discretionary licensing. So London is very much covered in a patchwork of different licensing schemes. Certainly, if I was a landlord in London, I would be checking what my requirements are. If you don't have a license, there, there's a strong chance that you may need a license now, because a lot of that has only increased in the last couple of years, the, the kind of mass increase to 90% coverage. And then, as I said, throughout the rest of the country, we're seeing in urban areas other councils following suit. It's no coincidence that Manchester, Nottingham and Birmingham have just introduced new schemes as well. So I think we're also seeing that fines, we're, we're only able to record our collate information on fines in London, but fines are about to hit £10 million in London as well. So it's one of these things that has gathered momentum, I would say, over the last five years. From five years ago, there wasn't a lot of enforcement and there was a lot less schemes to, we're kind of hitting a, a boiling point where now London is covered in 90% covered in, in discretionary schemes at the moment. And a, a lot of urban areas throughout the country really Really following suit. Wow. So what does happen when a property license is breached? If we've reached fines of about 10 million alone in London, like what are the consequences for breaching a property license? So the, the consequences are that you can be fined up to £30,000 per offence. So quite often you'll see, particularly with these really bad, who I don't think are, they're not representative of the vast majority of landlords, but when you get these rogue landlords, you can see them being fined for hundreds of thousands. And that's because the council has the ability to fine up to 30000 per offence. So it's not, it's not just that you don't have a licence. They will go in and inspect the property and find out everything else that does not comply with regulations within that. On top of that, if your tenants find out that they are living in an unlicensed property that should be licensed, they can also apply to the local council for a rent repayment order, which would entitle them to a repayment of the last 12 months of rent. So again, not an insignificant amount and something that really would you know, potentially bankrupt some landlords or definitely put a big dent in their P&L if they had to do that. Really, when you outweigh, look at the consequences of paying for a, a licence, again, they can be expensive up to 1500 But when you think about the, the downside of that, a rent repayment order for 12 months plus £30,000 plus fines, it really is worth doing. The, the licence does last for five years. So um, it's not that it's a, an annual payment that people have to do. And there's also talk of extending the rent repayment orders that it would actually be a 24 month rent repayment order. So if you thought a 12 months was bad, definitely 24 months could be something that could push you into insolvency on a property as well. Um, And tenants are becoming more aware. We do see some councils actually advertising to tenants. Some have been very crafty um, about trying to get 
I guess, your average tenant to to do their enforcement work for them. So it is something that I would pay a a bit of attention to, uh, certainly going forward. And the other thing to mention is that an agent has joint and several liability for ensuring that a property has a license. So if you're a managing agent, you can get fined and the landlord can get fined if the property doesn't have a license. Also, if you're, it's quite a grey area, but if you take rent on the property, so you might not necessarily be a managing agent, but if you are doing rent only and also sometimes with tenant fined, if you also take the first month's rent and the deposit, it has been shown in court that you will come into scope for being liable for the license as well. So you could also be at risk of being fined. So generally something that agents have to be as vigilant about as landlords it sounds like everybody's having to get involved in this aren't they and it's quite scary all the consequences I guess um picking up on what we were talking about in terms of letting agents what additional challenges do you think they face how do you feel like a general letting agent would feel hearing all this information because to me it sounds quite overwhelming yeah, certainly. I think a lot of our clients, uh, one of the things they say to us is that it, it gives them peace of mind. So knowing that that check has been done and, you know, they're on top of what's happening with regarding the tenancy, it just takes a whole overhead of it's not even just the cost of having to manage do my properties need licenses? It's also the mental overhead of it's just one less stress. Because I, I don't know about you, but I hate any kind of admin that requires me to go searching for stuff because you think it will take two minutes. And you know, we've done tests with councils. Quite often, we've been uh, back and forth on the phone um, and you know, a half a day, a day plus has passed and we still don't have the right answer. So this is just instant answers within your good Lord platform. There's a huge time and stress component that is just really taken away. And, you know, as we just talked about, consequences are not insignificant. So really just having a check up front in your tenancy process is now being very generously offered with Good Lord. It's a a massive compliance overhead and stress burden that's just removed because the councils do a really terrible job at making this information available. And even if you do know there's a licensing scheme in an area, figuring out if your exact property fits within that licensing scheme is also really it should be easy but it's not uh, we we've made it easy uh, we've built a whole company around it because it's such a it's such a horrible complex job so yeah it's one of the conundrums about local authorities really <laughs> So on the back of what you're saying in terms of um, CAMA's integration with Good Lord, CAMA's integration went live at the beginning of November. How do you think it's going to help letting agents? We're super excited about the, the Good Lord integration, mainly because I think our two products are so complementary with each other. At that time when an agent has a new tenancy coming on board, so you're doing the tenancy checks so right right in the sweet spot of uh, where Good Lord adds all your value is also the optimum time to be checking if a property needs a license. Because as I mentioned before, just to go back to the beginning of our chat, you do need to know how many tenants and households are going to be in the property. So it's the exact perfect time to be doing a check. So again, if you're thinking about compliance overhead and stress, this is something that's just been kind of automatically folded in with your tenancy journey. So it's kind of something you now don't have to think about. It's just a tiny extra step while you're using Good Lord. And, you know, at that point, landlords really see the value uh, in you as an agent in being on top of your compliance. So to be able to go back to landlord and say, you've got a new tenancy, we've just checked. 
And actually, you're going to need a license, you know, save them from a £30,000 fine. Also, there's an opportunity for an agent to sell the license application. Again, Good Lord and Cama are offering a service to provide that license application. An agent can mark up that service. So again, it's an opportunity to earn some money, but also differentiate yourself and show value to your landlord as an agent who really knows their stuff and, you know, keeps their property safe. And as I said, the lovely thing and why we're so excited about this partner with Good Lord is that it fits so nicely into that journey within the product that it's really not adding additional hassle, but just adding value to an agent who's using the platform already. And what's the sort of consequence for an agent who doesn't use something like Kama or Good Lord? Have you seen any letting agents see a huge amount of fines or like get really tripped up? Yeah, as I, as I mentioned, fines are sitting at 9.8 million in London at the moment, and they have been going up and up. I'd say early Q1 next year, they're going to hit 10 million. And a lot of those fines are agents. You know, councils are only too happy to find agents. I think they quite like to use them as an example. There can be PR around it. Quite often you'll see it in Property Industry Eye or Letting Agent Today where um, another agent or a landlord has been fined for not having a license. So I think, again, if you're already using the service, I think it's a fantastic value add to the Good Lord platform that takes away something that really is like, it's just a nasty thing to have to do on top of already over burdened agents for compliance is concerned you know but it is one of those things that ignore it at your peril it just takes one fine to financially ruin an organization um, and the reputational damage as well whereas actually what it does as we said before it gives an opportunity to have another really nice touch point with a landlord to show that you're on top of your game and hopefully opportunity to earn money on referring an application as well. It's now 2024. What do we see this year ahead? We've got the Renters Reform Bill. We've got loads of legislation coming our way. What are we expecting in terms of the property licensing world? I think all we've seen for the past three or four years is that licensing increases. We measure this regularly, but as I said, at the moment, it's once every 10 days, a new licensing scheme goes live somewhere in the country. And that number is pretty static. It kind of hovers between eight or 11 days. Either way, that's quite a frequent amount of new schemes popping up. And certainly uh, one of the things our system does is it picks up on any new consultations. So we can see where new schemes are being proposed. And there is quite a hefty um, number of schemes in consultation at the moment as well. So I don't really see it slowing down. All, you know, all the economic indicators where councils are still not in a good financial place. So there's still incentives for them to introduce more licensing schemes. You know, the renters reform bill is indicative of political appetite to add more and more kind of compliance and regulation on the industry. And property licensing is one of those things that the legislation is already in place. So it's it's a nice one for them to, to kind of keep hammering, really. So I, I don't see it slowing down, but I do I do see more agents seeing the opportunity in it in terms of, you know, if you can't beat them, join them and using the technology in a wise way to actually earn money from applications and referrals for applications that need not add an an extra overhead. You can just outsource that to Good Lord and Kama as well. So it is one of those things that it is an unfortunate, I guess, cost of doing business in the lettings industry, but hopefully it can be turned into an opportunity by just, you know, as soon as you see the alert um, when you're doing your tenancy check, you can put out your sales pitch to tell them that they, they need a license and provide that service. And it can be an opportunity. It need not always just be a pain in the ass. 
And hopefully um, this integration takes away a lot of the, the pain and the arse element of it as well. Fab. And I guess like the last question I'm going to ask you is, what would you say to agents in 2024 who would still be hesitant to use technology? Yeah, I, I I understand when you're you've kind of got your system, you've got your spreadsheets, and you've got your way of doing things, and it feels like a big upheaval to to kind of take on technology. What I would say is that if you buy from a good software provider, they will provide you with as much training and guidance as you need. And I would embrace that. Certainly with Good Lord and Camo, we definitely, we do, we kind of understand the needs of our customers and you know, we wouldn't be successful if we didn't help our customers use the technology. And once you do get over that initial hump, you do pretty quickly start to realise the efficiencies. I, I think using technology takes out a lot of risk. I'm actually originally an accountant, so spreadsheets actually scare me because because I know how badly they can go wrong from using big complex calculations, um, you know, one wrong number, one wrong formula, and uh, suddenly you've lost a million pounds or something like that. So definitely software takes away a lot of the risk. There's much more automation. I think the way the world is going as well with all this talk of chat GPT and artificial intelligence is that if you don't embrace technology, your competitors will find cheaper ways to do the same job as you, uh, the ones that do embrace technology. So I think it is worth getting on more of a front foot with that because with so much things being automated and artificial intelligence, now I'm not like artificial intelligence I don't I think we're a long way off them replacing people doing actual jobs but it will speed up a lot of more menial tasks and mean that there's huge cost savings involved around certain things um, and you know that really goes for technology across the board so personally I think in 2024 if you're if you're not using some sort of software you are disadvantaging yourself because there's also a lot of ways that technology can help you sell your service in a better way as well to earn money and competitors will be doing that as well so if you're if you're not doing it someone else will be doing it and there's a chance they might come and and take your lunch as well so it's definitely something that's worth embracing and certainly if you pick the right kind of technology firms they'll make sure that it is an easy process to get on top of and you, you'll actually start almost enjoying it <laughs> believe it or not Great. Thank you so much, Ola. That was so useful. And that was so interesting to hear. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks, Sophia. It's been a real pleasure and look forward to seeing uh, all the happy agents on the Good Lord platform using Camas Checks. Mm-hmm.